Uh, we're going to continue uh, our study through the book of 1 Corinthians, and we'll see how far we get tonight. My notes exceed probably uh, most definitely the time in which I am given, and so I will, with the Lord's help, uh, seek to cover that information, but yet uh, not bring us into the new year um, from one uh, chapter. And, you know, chapter divisions are great for... Um, helping us to kind of have a stopping point, uh, but sometimes uh, that chapter can, can go a bit long. And uh, chapter 11 is not a terribly long chapter, but as far as the content within it, um, we, we, there's, there is much to, to study. And so with the Lord's help, we'll try to cover these details. Brother Philip, can you take this mic down just a notch? And it's a, a bit louder than normal. Um, not too low now. We've got to be able to hear me, but there you go. All right, 1 Corinthians, uh, let's look at chapter 9. 1 Corinthians 9. And we're going to continue our thought and... Um, that we uh, had together this last uh, week, last Sunday night. Uh, we talked about the disciplined Christian. And uh, chapter 10 uh, speaks much about that disciplined Christian and some of those areas of discipline that Paul was seeking to uh, give to the church that they would apply to their lives. And in chapter 11, which is where we will be tonight, but he'll, he speaks of those areas of discipline yet again. But chapter 9 kind of begins that thought, all right, that spiral into where he's going with all of this. Remember up to this point, yes, he uh, has addressed some particular areas and matters, but chapter 9 he speaks of the reason why everything is done is for the sake of the gospel. Look at verse 26, if you would. Verse 26, the Bible says, I therefore so run, not as uncertainty, so fight I not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it unto, into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. And you remember that word castaway means uh, one who is disapproved or one who is unobedient to God. And so chapter 10, he talks about those areas of obedience. And if you would like to know that which we talked about, go back and listen to the message from last week, okay? But uh, we're in chapter 11, and we're going to try to cover some more of those details. So let's look at chapter 11, verse 1 and 2 to begin with. The Bible says, Be ye followers of me, even as also I am of Christ. And so uh, the, he's not telling them pridefully as though I'm the, uh, someone worthy of following, but follow me because uh, God has allowed me to be able to be your minister and the way in which I'm living is the way in which I desire for and God desires for you to live also. In those previous verses where he says, uh, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God, they so directly connect to verse 1 because he talks about giving none offense in verse 32 of chapter 10 and having a right relationship with other people. And so he says, as others should be followers of you in your service and obedience to God, so therefore be followers of me in my service and obedience to God, just the same. Verse 2, Now I praise you, brethren, that ye remember me in all things, and keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you. Uh, if one read through the book of 1 Corinthians without... Uh, knowing much of the context of it, there's not been too many times where we find Paul so much uh, praising, necessarily, of the people. Now, on the other hand, he's not ripping their faces, uh, but there is a level of rebuke in which he's, he's approaching the church about different matters which were not being dealt with appropriately. But he gives a level of praise. There is some things which they are doing right. And he says, they're keeping the ordinances as I deliver them unto you. And, but now we come to the word but, all right, in verse 3. However... Though they're keeping them, their, their way in which they were doing them was not 
God's intended order and how things were to be done. And so we're going to look at another, with the Lord's help, another three things to being a disciplined Christian. The first of those is having an understanding of the role of men and women in worship. Having an understanding of the role of men and women in worship. It's 1 Corinthians 11 that we find the matter of, of uh, and God's intent for uh, hair being given in the case of a covering for the women and uh, the appropriate way in which men uh, are to um, uh, cover their head or not to cover their head. And from verse 16 down through verse 22, we find uh, his mention of their, uh, some believe it would be to believe it to be specifically the love feast and that they would, uh, by tradition and by their culture, would have celebrated in their inappropriate way, their wrong way in which they are approaching that. And then from the following verses, from verse 23 down through the end of the chapter, he mentions that of the Lord's Supper. And it's this chapter that we often uh, hear read when we take of the communion. And, uh, but all these things are uh, areas in which the church was not, they were doing, they were recognizing, but they were not doing it in the biblical way. And so that first area was a, a proper understanding of the role of men and women in worship. And he begins by first telling of the principle for men and women in worship. Look at verse 3. He says, but I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ. Now, there are some instances where in Scripture he says, or the writer would say man or men, and he's referring to men and women. But in this specific case, he's talking about the man. And so he says that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. Now, just so we don't uh, put up a defense real quick that, um, you know, women are being dumbed down as anything small, that's not what Paul is saying by any means. Let's continue to read in the chapter, and then we'll break it down as we go uh, along. The Bible says, Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonoreth his head. But every woman that prayeth or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonoreth her head. For that is even all one as if she were shaven. For if a woman be not covered, let her also be shorn. But if it be a shame for a woman to be shorn or shaven, let her be covered. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head, for as much as he is the image and the glory of God, but the woman is the glory of the man. For the man, man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. For this cause ought the woman to have power on her head because of the angels. Nevertheless, neither is the man without the woman, neither the woman without the man in the Lord. For as the woman is of the man, even so is the man also by the woman, but all things of God. Judging yourselves, is it calmly that a woman pray unto God uncovered? Doth not even nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, it is a shame unto him? But if a woman have long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given uh, for a covering. But if any man seem to be contentious, we have no such custom, neither the churches of God. And so does this matter, he go, jumps back and forth, the man, the woman, the man, the woman. And with that which he is saying, he begins with the principle, the fact, in verse 3, that concerning the men. The Bible tells us that uh, the head of every man is Christ. God uh, makes it very clear that when it's, it is the man of the home, uh, that um, a man within the marriage, and it, there's only God created men and women, and so there's husband and wife. The man is created with God's intent to be the head of the home. And, but however, he is not so far as the head that he is above God. Above the man is God himself. And so we understand uh, above all, 
is God himself. God is the head. As God, we find him the head of the church. Uh, God is to be uh, ultimately the head of the home. But he has given the role in leadership to the man uh, in, in the home and uh, of the family as being that head. And more specifically, when we consider the role of the husband and wife, it is to be the man who God has created to be, um, should we say in our terms, the one in charge, <laughs> the leader the, the one who is going to be held accountable for that which happens within the home. And so the Bible tells us the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man. And he emphasizes again, the head of Christ is God. So there is an order to things. This is not to say that women are inferior by any means. In today's culture, they read 1 Corinthians 11, and they'd about have a cow. <laughs> you know, uh, we're always, society right at this point in time is so lifting um, uh, women and ladies to be so, to making men in many ways inferior. Not to say that women are not capable of leading and not capable of doing things in general, uh, but when you find Hollywood, and in in, there really is an agenda, I believe, that's being pushed and emphasizing women as being the role and main characters, there's an inferiority that's being brought to the role, and should I say more specifically, God's intended role for the man. And so the Bible tells us that ultimately God is the head. And even if you were to take the proper order, you have God the Father, then you have Jesus Christ, then you have man, and then you have woman, which falls under them. And so um, the Bible tells us that Christ is to be, more specifically, the head of every individual. Yes, even though we understand that God has created man to be the head of the home, yet ultimately Christ is to be the head. And there are some and could be some instances where even in the case of a marriage, uh, maybe the marriage was not begun in an appropriate manner, but Christ is not being made the head and maybe not in accordance as it is intended to be by the man within the home. And so ultimately, ultimately Christ is to be given his rightful place. This is not with the intent that contention is to be brought within the home, but understand, God is to be given his rightful place. He is the head. And so when the Bible tells us the head of the woman is uh, the man, uh, it, it falls right along with what Paul says in Colossians 3, verse 18. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands, but it doesn't end there. It says, as it is fit in the Lord. So the reason why there is to be a submission in which the wife uh, falls under that leadership of the husband is not because uh, they are inferior, uh, because all of us are equal in the eyes of God. Amen? Uh, but it, it is because... It is fit unto the Lord for the woman to fulfill her role, for the wife to fulfill her role as God intended for it to be. Look at verse 4. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonoreth his head. Now, I've known some to take this passage of Scripture with the covering or uncovering of the head uh, to be in such a literal matter that women even so far as have to wear a hat. Uh, they, they don't consider necessarily a natural covering of the hair. And uh, I believe that God has given, uh, as we find in verse uh, 15, uh, or rather verse 14 through 16, where the Bible talks about nature itself and, and, um, and men having an identity of a shorter hair, and that's giving uh, an, an, a head which is not covered. It's giving a right allegiance to the ultimate head, God himself. 
and the woman having the covering, yes, for matters of identity, but also showing her position in God's creation of man and God's intent for those roles. Uh, but some take this to such an extent that, you know, there's actually a literal needing to wear. I know the time that I spent in England, um, at least in that part of England, I don't know, can't speak for the entire country, uh, but that is how many of the churches believe. And all the women, all the ladies, uh, to going to church, they would wear a hat. And uh, it was taking this, this particular passage so literal to such an extent that uh, the covering was an intent to show their position. Now, um, some of you may be thankful that you don't have to do that today, right? Uh, but uh, the Bible tells us that, um, that there is a covering that is given to, uh, to the woman, and it is intended for the sake of identity, but also for, uh, for the identity of the gender, but also for the identity of the role, okay? So the Bible tells us of the men in verse 3 and 4. And he jumps to the context yet further in verse 5 concerning the women. He says, But every woman that prayeth or prophesieth with her head uncovered dishonoreth her head, for that is even all one as if she were shaven. And, of course, we know Paul to later state in 1 Corinthians um, chapter 14. Why don't you look there just for a brief moment. Keep your finger in chapter 11. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 34. Um, Paul has all these things, I believe, in mind. He's not coming with a new era of thought in other passages of Scripture as he writes. But he says in verse 34, Let your women keep silence in the churches, for it is not permitted unto them to speak. But they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the Lord. Again, we're not, Paul is not speaking as the women are to be inferior in any way, but he's bringing that same thought in mind. God has created, and he even mentions that in verse um, um, 8 He says of chapter 11. He says, the man is the man not uh, of the woman, but the woman of the man. He makes a specific identity to the fact that it is the woman who is created after the man for the man, for the glory of the man. And so the, 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 sometimes we can get caught up in the fact, well, uh, what can I or can I not do as a woman within the church? Uh, and, and yes, there are things that the Word of God makes it clear that a woman is not to do. But let us understand the principle of the matter in chapter 11. He's speaking concerning they are giving acknowledgement to God's order of the head. Okay, Their choice to not fulfill a position of leadership in the area, in this case, of the church of Corinth. They were prophesying and uh, they, they, they were um, having greater roles that exceeded what God's intent was for the women, and that even exceeded the role of the man within leadership of the church. And Paul says that ought not to be, because it is uh, God's creation of the woman to acknowledge by her very choice of having her head covered that acknowledges her position in leadership. 1 Timothy chapter 2 gives further light on this matter in chapter 2 verse 11. It says, let, let the woman learn in silence and in all subjection, but I suffer not a woman to teach nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. For Adam uh, was formed, listen to this, for Adam was formed, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in transgression. Notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing 
if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. And so, you know, sometimes uh, men can joke, and we can be guilty of this, men, but, uh, you know, let the women have silence. And we, we joke about, you know, women uh, having a remaining of silence. May I say, uh, some women uh, within the church uh, uh, only but help the men <laughs> to do better at being not so silent, you know. Unfortunately, sometimes uh, it, it can be said of men that we are not uh, rightfully fulfilling the intended role as God has intended for us to have, that role of leadership. And may I say that is the very reason why that God has given man a wife, is to help us to fulfill our roles that much better. And, um, uh, and so all these jokes about, you know, God had a better idea when he created woman and, and women are supposed to remain silent, throw that all in the trash, okay? There's nowhere in scripture that those things are mentioned, but the Bible does make it clear there is the, the role of leadership and the areas of speaking within the church are given to that of the man. And uh, there is a appropriate time and place for the women to fulfill those roles of leadership, um, but um, not in the case that we would find it as was found within the church. Uh, the women were having a larger and greater role of leadership that exceeded that of the men. Uh, they were, uh, and Paul uses the word freedom in, in many passages of scripture, 1 Corinthians, they were taking their freedom, should we say, their um, ability within the Christian life to such a farther extent than what God intended for them to be. So the church was fulfilling and doing and following God's order of things. However, their putting into action of those things was not being done appropriately. And um, so uh, all this being said, uh, there, is an, there are many women that God has used in tremendous ways uh, to fulfill and to complete the work of God in ministries and, and in other areas. And so where Paul is not by any means uh, diminishing, but yet he is emphasizing that there is a, a role of leadership which is to be had. And so the same should be within the church today. Uh, the men are to take leadership. Amen. Men, it should be you the first to speak up and say amen. And all God's people said, amen. All right, see, we're working on it tonight. And uh, it should be the first of you to say, I volunteer. I'm the one who's willing. It shouldn't be your wife that, that volunteers before you. It, it should be you who is the first to, to take that step forward and lead your family and say, you know what, honey, we're, we're going to be with the church tonight. We're going to go do these things together with the church. And... Um, and at, when we consider the role of the wife, it should be the wife who submiss submissively says, you know what, honey, th th this, uh, maybe we should do these things, uh, putting Christ first in this way. Uh, maybe these are the things that we should do. Uh, sometimes it can be the flop side around and, and, you know, we use the joke, so-and-so wears the pants in the family, you know, and, well, she definitely wears the pants in the family. He does everything she tells him to do, you know, and that, that may happen in some cases, maybe a little bit more of the role that the, that there's a stronger personality in one way or the other, but that doesn't exceed the principles that are found in Scripture. Uh, that when the Bible tells us that the man is to lead, the man is to lead. And so men, we are to be leaders, uh, and we are to be acknowledging the head being God, and yet uh, God has made us the head of the home, and when we consider the church, uh, we are to um, let Christ be seen through our lives, but at the same time letting that role of leadership be fulfilled. 
And so the Bible tells us of the principle. And now he speaks concerning more of the practice, the putting into action of the men and women in worship. The principle, the fact is, hey, there is a proper role in these things. The practice of them is found in verse 6, where he tells us of the woman's covering. He says, for if the woman be not covered, let her also be shorn. But if it, but it be a shame for a woman to be shorn or shaven, let her be covered. Now, if you're looking for a passage in Scripture uh, to find exactly how long a woman's hair should be uh, on her shoulders or above her shoulders or uh, you know uh, down to her lower back you're not going to find in scripture anywhere of, of that uh, of that sort exact measurement but the bible does say this there should be an identity yes for the sake of gender but also for the sake of um, their their role within the house of god their role as a wife and a woman within the home and um that the woman's hair is given for the purpose of a covering. And we find that in verse 15 also, uh, that um, if a woman have long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given for a covering. Now, if you have shorter hair tonight, again, I'm trying not to step on toes this evening, but I'm just telling you, we're, we're not diminishing you in any way, okay? This is, and I don't believe Paul is either. Um, culture uh, does have its own formalities of, of how we go about things. Uh, things would have even been uh, of a much different context when Paul would have written these things. But there should be an identity within them. Unfortunately, today we find uh, women are shaving half of their head and leaving the other half long. And, uh, you know, uh, men are growing their hair to an exceedingly long fashion. And, and it's not fulfilling God's intended role as he, as he describes it to be found in 1 Corinthians 11. And so uh, the Bible tells us that of the woman's covering, but yet then the man's calling. In verse 7 through 9, verse 7 through 9, For a man indeed ought not to cover his head. Now this doesn't mean we can't wear a hat, praise God. Some of us would be burnt to death if we didn't. But the Bible says, For as much as he is the image and the glory of God, but the woman is the glory of the man. For the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. Neither uh, was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. And so he speaks concerning creation. He says, knowing that God's uh, creation of man is to bring glory to God. When the man's head is seen, others are to see Christ. And I want you to catch that principle. When the man's head is seen, others are to see Christ first. And then he mentions that of the woman being for the glory of man. I mentioned this already briefly, but uh, women were created for God's glory, as what the men were. But the, as if the man is giving his appropriate acknowledgement to the Lord, as he should be, and the, then, and the woman is falling in submission to her husband, the head of the home, as she should be, then they are both giving the allegiance to God as they should be. Amen? And so there's an appropriate order to these things. And so the, the man's calling, I, I, I read an illustration that helped to give a better understanding in this way. As the moon reflects the glory of the sun, so the man reflects the glory of God, and the woman reflects the glory of man. Uh, the problem happens is when uh, the men fail to reflect the glory of God, and so in turn, uh, the, the women do the same. The, the, the responsibility, could I remind you tonight, men, it falls on our shoulders. It is we who God has created to be the leaders. And God has uh, made it clear that there is a head within the home. There is even to be a head, so to speak, within the church, uh, that role of leadership. And so uh, the woman's covering, the man's calling. Number three, we find the Christian's conduct. And he speaks more in a general way and kind of more uh, uh, reiterating yet again in verse 10. He says, for this cause... Ought the women to have power, or that word power also means authority, okay? Ought the women to have authority on her head because of the angels. 
Someone says, well, why is he suddenly talking about angels? Well, look at what he continues to say. Nevertheless, neither is the man without, uh, uh, without the woman, neither the woman without the man and the Lord. For as the woman is of the man, even so the man is also uh, uh, of the woman. Um, I think I jumped back here a little bit. Um, verse 10. Uh, as I just read, for this cause ought the woman to have power on her head because of the angels. As the angels were created and they know their place, God created all things, they know their place in creation, so the women are also to know. Now understand again, Paul is simply emphasizing this was a problem in the church of Corinth. The women were taking their role of leadership to an even further extent than God intended for it to be. And this can still happen in churches today. Uh, that the men fall back and the women take a greater role of leadership. And praise the Lord for women stepping up, but shame on the men for not fulfilling their role. May it not be said of Community Bible Church that the men within this church are not leaders. That we would uh, let our head be seen for the sake that God would be seen. Amen? And we do what we do for the honor and glory of God. So um, he says in verse 13, in summarization, Judge in yourselves. It is calmly that a woman pray unto God and cover. Doth not even nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, it is a shame unto him. But if a woman have long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given for a covering. But if a man seem to be contentious, we have no such custom, neither the churches of God. He ends in verse 15 by saying, if it seem to be contentious, this is not meant to be something contentious about. So don't get frustrated about this is not a big, this is not meant to be a big deal. In fact, I believe Paul, if he were, he were to say it in our words, this is not a, but a petty issue. It really is. But at the end of the day, uh, don't let yourself become offended because of what all that's being said. This is not to be debated about either. The, the, this is the bottom line. God is the head. The man was created under that leadership, and the woman was to, was to follow that leadership also. There's a proper order to things. Could I just add to this um, on the area of men, uh, and the, where the Bible says, a shame that a man have long hair. There should be a clear identity that you are a man. And all God's people said, amen. Uh, none of this as, as the shabby look. Uh, I'm not saying you can't grow a beard. I'm talking about you're, you're growing your hair out to such an extent that uh, someone can hardly tell a difference between whether or not you are truly a man. And unfortunately, in today's society, that's exactly what we're seeing. And um, maybe it's a fear that they're going to go bald. I don't know. But uh, I, I know that culture, at the end of the day, has taken this to such a level that it's not God's intended order of things. And that identity doesn't just speak of the gender, but it speaks of our role as men and women under the leadership of God himself. And so then, from verse 17 through 21, he brings out another matter. And... Uh, this matter of receiving others into the house of God. Receiving others into the house of God. He talks about the role of men and women within worship. But then he talks about now receiving others into the house of God. Look at verse 17. Now in this I declare unto you, I praise you not that ye come together, not for the better, but for the worse. For first of all, when ye come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you. And I partly believe it. But there must be also heresies among you, that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. When ye come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, every one taketh before uh, other his own supper, and one is hungry, and another is drunken. Now, we don't know exactly, per se, 
that to which he was referring to here. We know he's getting ready to speak of the Lord's Supper. I mentioned this earlier, but many would believe that some of the feasts which they would have recognized was being confused also with the Lord's Supper. And one of those specific feasts was what was known as the Love Feast. And in that particular Love Feast, whether rich or poor, you would bring large portions or of whatever you had of food and you would congregate together and all, it was pretty much like a potluck dinner. Okay, But the idea of it was that whether you had more money, you brought a larger amount naturally. If you were poor, you brought a smaller amount naturally. But those who partook of that food ate equally. Okay? And this this what was not happening within church within the church was we know to be this much that in verse uh, 22 he says uh, and goes as far to say what have ye not houses to eat and to drink or despise ye the church of God. He says you might as well just stay in your own homes is the very reason why you're coming to the house of God for the feast, and you're eating your own food and not sharing it with other people. <laughs> Boy, uh, we, I, I can be bad about that with my food. You know, get a little bit greedy. This is my food that I brought. But it, it would seem to me that the clear thing of what she's saying is they were, not, they were not receiving others. Okay, And he alludes to that even further at the end of chapter 11 in verse 33. He says, Wherefore, my brethren, when ye come together to eat, tarry. That word tarry means to receive or to accept or to look for, or another word which could be used is to expect, okay? So he says, Wherefore, my brethren, when ye come together to eat, tarry one for another. And if any man hunger, let him eat at home. If the only reason why you're coming is simply just to eat for your own uh, hunger and satisfaction, you're missing the whole point, okay? I believe he's referring much to uh, what he's already said in chapter 10 and verse number 32 where he says give none offense neither to the Jews nor to the Gentiles uh, there should be a proper understanding of we're putting others before ourselves and we're thinking of others before our own needs and uh, but this was not what was happening within the church and uh, so what is the principle that we can learn from this? Well, don't eat all your own food. Uh, but, but also that we have a responsibility to receive all equally. Okay, uh, That which we come to the house of God for is not simply and only for ourselves. Boy, uh, this, this really um, can be something that I believe many Christians can be guilty of because sometimes that is the only reason why we come to church. It's for ourselves, for my own hunger. Maybe it's not a physical hunger. Maybe it's a spiritual hunger. It's good to be spiritually hungry. You're receiving all that you can get. However, that, that, uh, that reason in coming to the house of God is not, should not simply and only be about you. The Bible says, as Paul says, tarry one for another. Let others receive. Maybe the individuals who, among whom you're with and worshiping together with are not people uh, that are spiritually understanding or receiving all the things to the extent that you are. And maybe it would be that you need to help to share that with them. Okay, So uh, let us understand that the, the church in Corinth was not re receiving others into the house of God. And Paul says, if the whole reason you're coming is only for yourself, then stay in your own home. Do you really do you despise the church of God that much? In other words, to say the house of God is not just any ordinary house. This is not just a place where you come for your own satisfaction. We come for the honor and glory of God and, and with others in mind to grow together in God's house to work together, to strive together. Philippians chapter 1 verse 27. And so uh, he tells us, understand the role of men and women. 
receive others into the house of God. And he closes in the chapter, in the remaining of the chapter, to give an understanding of the purpose in observing the Lord's Supper. Understand the purpose in observing the Lord's Supper. A disciplined Christian has applied these things. They're seeking to apply these things. And they're understanding that there is a proper purpose in it all. And what we find of the church at Corinth, they were observing communion, they were observing the Lord's Supper, but they were not doing it as God intended for it to be. Look at verse number 23. For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you. But the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take eat. This is my body, which is uh, broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament, or we could say the covenant in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Look at verse 30. This is what was happening to the people. The Bible says, For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. God's judgment upon them for some went so far as even death because of their failure to examine their self when uh, taking of communion before the Lord. Look at verse 32. And when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. And so, the Bible tells us in verse 23 and 24 of those important words. Why do we take of communion? In remembrance. The ultimate reason. Why? It's in remembrance of that which God has done for us. Amen? Uh, we're remembering that body, that 100% man, that fleshly body which Jesus Christ came in the form of and he shed his blood for us. He died and shed his blood for us. It is purely a time of remembrance that communion does not grant salvation. It does not give any supernatural ability. It does not make us a better Christian. In fact, it, it, there, is no, there is nothing more that it does than simply provide an opportunity of remembrance for what God has done for us. And so, uh, let us understand the meaning of the Lord's Supper. And I'm going to roll through this pretty quickly as this would be uh, relatively familiar to us but important for us to understand. The Bible tells us of the structure of the Lord's Supper and the time in which it took place. In verse 23, he alludes to the same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. Uh, there is no major significance, may I say, in the time in which the Lord's Supper uh, took place. But its only purpose um, should be to think upon what God has done. And this was uh, what Jesus, and what we know to be in the New Testament, and we refer to as the Last Supper, Jesus was trying to help the disciples understand that which he was getting ready to do. So the significance in that time, uh, there is the Word of God does not say we have to take a communion once a month. Now that's a custom in our church. We do once a month as if the holidays or the sickness or the weather does not uh, disallow that. But we, that's a custom which we have. But nowhere in Scripture do we find an exact way in which it has to be done. Um, uh, the Bible just tells us it is simply to be a time of remembrance. And so, notice also the focus in verse 24. He says, And when he, that being Jesus, had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. So the focus is a time of 
giving thanks. It's remembering all that God has done. And that time of remembrance, it should produce an attitude of thankfulness. When we take of the Lord's communion, it should, at the very end of the day, remind us of what God has done and cause us to walk out of these doors with thankfulness for all that God has done. Amen? And so, uh, as Jesus himself gave thanks upon that night of communion, so it, it should also be a time for us in the very same. Uh, listen to this, Hebrews 12, verse 2. The Bible says, Look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. It was a joyful thing for God himself, a willing thing of God himself in his love to give himself for all mankind. And so uh, what we have in our time of remembrance in the Lord's Supper is so much, so much to be thankful for. So much to be thankful for in his love, his willingness, and his joy in doing so for us. He did not have to die. But yet he chose to do so. And praise the Lord for that. Amen. Making that way of salvation possible. So the time is not with any specific, but it's with a purpose to think upon God. The focus is to bring us to a heart and a mind of thankfulness. The order which we find it in. Turn to Acts chapter 2, if you would. Acts chapter 2. We're going to jump back and forth to a couple verses before we find ourselves back in uh, 1 Corinthians 11. But Acts chapter 2 and verse 37. Acts 2 verse 37. The Word of God tells us there is an order to things. And that is to be understood concerning this matter of communion. Acts 2 verse 37. The Word of God says, And when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. Now remember, this is the beginning of, uh, of the book of Acts. The uh, day of Pentecost has already taken place and souls are being brought to Christ. The Bible tells us they're pricked to hearts and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then said Peter unto them, Repent. Acknowledge your sin before God. Turn from your sin before God. Receive Christ into your heart and become a Christian. He says, And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. So after salvation, we are baptized and we know as we find in multiple passages of scripture that is baptism by submersion. There was no sprinkling that took place, but a baptism which took place to follow after salvation. And then he continues, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. It's not to say that the Holy Ghost was only given when they did, um, uh, when they were baptized, but the Holy Spirit came to live inside of them from that very moment. But you understand there was a baptizing of the Holy Spirit. And I'm rabbit trailing a little bit, but if you read in the book of Acts, you would find a baptism which is referred to on more than one case, one being of literal immersion concerning uh, a baptism in acknowledgement of the, in a picture, should we say, of that uh, death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, that picturing of the cross. But we also find a baptism of the Holy Spirit. The moment that those came to receive Christ, they were immersed, should we say, with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came to live inside of them. All right. So when the Bible tells us of the order of things, there was an order of repentance, of baptism. And then look at chapter 2, verse 41. He says, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. So they received, they became Christians, they were baptized. In the same day, there were added unto them 3,000 souls. They joined the church. <laughs> and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrines and fellowship. And, in notice, breaking of bread and in prayers. So we find uh, that it wasn't even until this time of remembrance in the Lord's Supper that took place and the order in which it took place didn't, didn't happen until first they had received Christ 
and even after they were baptized. Now, you may disagree with me on this, but I, I truly believe when the Bible says, let a man examine himself, it's talking about our having our heart right with God and, and a clear conscience with Him. There's nothing between us. In other words, it's, a, uh, it's an acknowledgement before God that we are living in absolute, complete obedience to God in every area of our life. And I believe that to include baptism. That if an, if an individual is not uh, baptiz baptized by immersion, then he should not take of the Lord's Supper. Does that make him any less of a Christian? No, it just means that he hasn't yet taken that step of baptism yet. And um, there's an order to these things. And the order that we find them in, in all of Scripture is this very way. And so um, the Bible tells us back in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 24, and when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take ye, this is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. And so um, God's structure for the Lord's Supper is that every Christian is to observe it. He says yet again in verse 25, This do. This is something which we are to do. Uh, this is something that the Christian is to do. It is a command even of God that we do. Uh, so, um, we understand the order of these things, the time of these things, the focus of these things. This is God's structure of the Lord's Supper. But notice the significance of it in verse 26. He says, For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show. Uh, there's an important word, show, or you, maybe you want to pronounce it shoe, but it does mean show, okay? Show the Lord's death till he come. Uh, this word show, it, it is a word which means to demonstrate, to proclaim. Or, I like this definition of it, as we find in its original text, to speak. To speak. So when you take the Lord's Supper, you are speaking forth in demonstration of what you are doing. Uh, that, that of, Lord, I remember what you've done for me. I'm thankful for what you have done for me. And this is, this is the significance of it is simply to show that which God has done. The elements, the, the juice, and the... Um, uh, unleavened bread have no significance in what they are. Uh, they have no. Uh, they do nothing more than simply give a picture of that body which Jesus gave and the blood which He shed for all mankind. Um, as the Catholics would believe, they become the literal body and blood of Christ. We don't find that anywhere in Scripture. The Bible tells us the pure intended purpose for communion, for the Lord's Supper, is simply and only to show the Lord's death. Uh, Christ died, but he did not stay dead. Praise the Lord. Amen? Uh, he, the Bible tells us he rose again. He lives today. Amen? That's a wonderful thing. And so, what does it speak of? It speaks of Christ's body. In verse 24, he says, This is my body, which is broken for you. It speaks, number two, of Christ's blood. Uh, that, that blood which Christ shed. And the debate is often of, you know, it was that... Um, drink alcoholic or was it not? Well, we can have another debate for another night, another study upon uh, the many times which we find that uh, wine, as Scripture refers to it as, uh, but the, for the different level of fermenting and the, the uh, different level of aging which it would have been, and even the use of the word being used in Scripture being different from what we would find it today, uh, th this, this we know not to have been something which would have, as alcohol does, it did not drive a man's thinking to a point in which God did not intend for it to be. Okay, So this, this was simply and purely a time of remembrance. Um, it speaks of Christ's body. It speaks of Christ's blood. And it speaks of Christ's coming again. Now sometimes we don't acknowledge the fact of communion doing, doing such. But verse 26 tells us just that. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he comes. 
we're continually reminding ourselves. This is why we take of communion. To show the Lord's death till he comes. We're continually reminding ourselves Jesus is returning. Amen? He's returning for his own. He's going to come back someday and take all those who know him, all those who are believers, with him to be with him in heaven. And uh, so it speaks of his coming again. Let me bring you to the last point tonight, the seriousness of the Lord's Supper. The Bible tells us um, uh, in verse number 26, Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord, but let a man examine himself. And so that examination should be, am I a Christian? Have I received Christ? Have I repented of my sins? Have I been scripturally baptized? Am I living in obedience to God to the best of my ability? And um, uh, the Bible tells us that this observance of the Lord's Supper should be um, that you are seeking to live a sincere Christian life. And, and, and it's not, you know, not just a matter of, well, I'm sincere in what I'm doing, but a genuine, I guess we could use the word, more better choice, a genuine Christian life. That's what, that which I am doing before the Lord is of honesty before Him in love and worship to Him. The Bible tells us in um, verse 29, For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself. And so we find the judgment that God brought to those who did not take of the Lord's Supper with a right heart. And, you know, there is no shame in as the Lord's Supper would be partaken in this church, or maybe uh, you would have taken communion in another church, but there, there is no shame in letting the plate go by. Maybe there's some things in your heart which you know aren't genuinely honest before God. Uh, we use the word kudos, but kudos for you for examining yourself. Because the Bible tells us that there is judgment that is brought you say, what level of judgment? Am I going to get the flu? Am I going to get COVID? Am I, am I going to die? I don't know. I don't know what it is. But the Bible does make it clear that we are to drink and to partake, should we say, of the Lord's Supper worthily. We're doing it with a genuine and sincere, clean conscience before God. That's why when we partake of communion here at Community Bible Church, we have a time of prayer before we partake of those elements. Because it is a further examination and it is a further acknowledgement before God of what he has done for us and what, that, what those elements uh, represent uh, and, and what God has done for us. And, and again, the goal is that in the end we would leave with a heart of thankfulness. And so um, the, understand that when God brings judgment, as he says at the end of the chapter in verse 32, this is simply the, chast the chastening, the chastisement of God. God is not, uh, you know, um, angry with us. He's chastening us. As a good father does, he chastens his child when he runs away. <laughs> you know, come back, child. You're going the wrong way. Uh, you're, you're getting ready to uh, walk off a cliff. Don't walk off that way, all right? And this is the, what our Heavenly Father does for us. He chastens us. And thank the Lord for his chastening. Amen? Uh, it is the times that we do find ourselves... Um, uh, even under sickness or under uh, discouragement or under times in which we don't understand that we should be examining our life to ask ourselves, is God chastening me in some way? Are these things being brought to my life for a purpose of bringing my eyes upon God uh, in such a way that I have not been? And so Paul writes to the church and with these matters in mind, he says um, there, there should be a discipline that takes place within the Christian's life. Uh, that we would not be a castaway, that we would not be disapproved, disobedient towards God. 
And that's with an understanding of our role as both men and women within the church and our worship to Him. That's with an understanding of our receiving of others. We're not uh, so hungry that the, the house of God is only about ourselves, but that we're thinking of others just the same. And that when we partake of the Lord's Supper, that we remember its intended purpose. That this is a time of remembrance, a time of thanksgiving. It is to be a, 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 of a joyfulness that we would leave knowing and being reminded that Christ is coming again. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for uh, the, the promise that you give to us that when we live,